families that were helping are benefiting from from us being there and from us uh, uh, being a help there. I think there's a lot of a lot of things in this world that are pulling at our heartstrings, are pulling at our, our attention, and pulling at our um, uh, our will, and trying to get us to to conform to what it is that whatever the world is trying to, to pull at. And I think it's important that we allow God to pull at our heartstrings and allow him to change us and make us into what he wants us to be. And um, so I think it's important that, that we focus on that and allow uh, uh, ourselves to be, um, to be pulled by him, to be driven by him rather than by the, the rest of the world. All right. This morning we are in the middle of a series entitled The Not-So-Inconsequential. And we have made it to Amos. Famous Amos. The not-so-famous Amos. Famous Amos has uh, made some cookies, and we're going to share those in just a minute. But first, we have, to, we have to say our books of the Bible. Starting with the minor prophets in Hosea. All right? So I want to hear everybody say them with me as we, as we go through them. Um, and if I, uh, we'll, just, we'll just see if we can, see if we can pull it off. If I don't see any effort, then we might have to do some different ways of, uh, you know. So let's, let's all pitch in, all right? If you don't know the books of the Bible from Hosea on, you're going to learn them by the end of this series. And uh, so, so you might as well just give it some effort now, and that way at the end we won't have to cram, okay? So we're going to start with Hosea. Hosea, Joel, Amos, there's Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Now everybody over 50. Ready? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Now everybody under 20. Under 20. You ready? You ready? You ready? You're under 20. Hosea. Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Good job. You guys are getting them. So we are talking about Amos, and we're talking about famous Amos. And so I think it's only appropriate to have some famous Amos cookies. Uh-oh, I'm killing the box. Do you want to get some cookies out? Keep going. I think there's some people that don't have one. 
Raise your hand if you don't have one. Raise your hand if you have one and you don't want another one. Oh, come on, really? Hey, one, one honest person right there. Give, give Larry another one. Mine got open. Fantastic. Who didn't get one? Oh, man. Look at how many cookies are in that bag. Look at that. It's insane. Larry just wants another one. Look how many is in there. I think they double stuffed that one. I think they did. It's fantastic. They're not very good cookies. I'm just kidding. They're really good. I had some earlier. Famous Amos. So while you're eating your cookies, I also want you to get your Bibles out. I sent out a warrior text this week and asked you to bring your text, hard text Bible. I, I like um, I like Bible apps. I really do. I I preach off my, my Bible app, uh, but I like to also to have the, sometimes have the text in, in my hand. It helps me focus, it helps me remember, it helps me uh, stay in tune with, what, with what's going on. So I want you to turn to the book of Amos in your Bible, and you get to one of those last 12 in the Old Testament, you should be able to step backwards and you know find, find Amos. Amos has nine chapters. I want you to find Amos in your Bible. If you find Psalms, go uh, to the right. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Jacob, Milan, Patience, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. So he's after Psalms. Halfway between Psalms and Matthew, probably, or pretty close. Did you find, find Amos? All right. Found Joel. Where's Amos? Comparison to Joel. Right after, right? And he's right before who? Obadiah. So let me give you just a little bit of backstory on on Amos um, before we start writing in our Bibles. I think most of you brought a colored pencil or two, and if you didn't, there's a lot of people that brought extras. So um, find a colored pencil as well if you don't have one. If somebody has one to share, hold them up so that everybody can have one. Um, maybe two colors will be enough. At least one so that you can do some highlighting. I like colored pencils because you can... Scribble on the on the text, and it doesn't go through the other side. Uh, crayons work, but if it gets really hot in there, it might bleed through. Um, highlighters, some highlighters work. There's some really highfalutin Bible highlighting uh, highlighters that won't go through to the other side. Uh, but whatever you find, literally just a, a simple colored pencil works really well, and so that's why I ask you to bring it. So a little bit of backstory: um, Amos was a shepherd uh, in a small town, Tekoa. I believe the name of the town is. Oh, let's see. Verse 1 there, Tekoa. I think that's how you say the word or say the name of the town he was from. He was sent to the northern kingdom primarily. Uh, he was a shepherd from Judah, which is the southern kingdom. Um, but he was sent to prophesy and, and proclaim God's word to the northern kingdom. So to go back a little further, God's people, they obviously wanted a king, right? So God said, okay, well, I think that's a bad idea, but we'll go ahead and let you have a king. The other day, Colton was driving his RC truck. Did I tell you the story? He was driving his RC truck in the backyard. He said, Dad, I want to drive it through the mud. It's supposed to be waterproof. I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea. But if you want, you can try it. He went out there and dug a hole and put some water in there and made mud. And started driving his truck through that. Colton, I don't think that's a good idea. Colton, I don't think that's a good idea. About... Half an hour later, he comes up. I, Dad, I think my truck's broke. <laughs> mm. 
God told his people, I don't think that's a good idea. You want a king, but you don't, I, I really don't think that's a good idea. God provided a king. We, had, we find King Saul. He was beautiful on the outside, but not so beautiful on the inside. He had a bad heart. The next king came along, and David has a, had a beautiful heart, but he has a lot of problems uh, with especially the ladies. So Saul reigned about 40 years. David reigned about 40 years, and then came Solomon. Uh, Israel was at the height of its, uh, one of the, the biggest it had ever been, the wealthiest it had ever been when Solomon was there. Um, Solomon's son Rehoboam came along after him and decided to listen to younger counsel. When you seek counsel, always seek counsel from someone older and wiser, not younger and stupider. <laughs> Highly recommend older and wiser. Uh, Rehoboam went with the younger and um, lost a lot of clout with his people. And so the, the nation of Israel split. The ten kingdoms, the lost kingdoms, they call them, they split off and uh, split to the north uh, and Judah stayed to the south. The ten tribes went north, two stayed south. And um, both north and south were very economically and uh, militarily, uh, monetarily, everything was great at this particular time. And Amos comes in at this time. That's where he's, that's where he comes in and starts presenting the truth. And as you go through the book of Amos, you're going to see that these people weren't, weren't poor. They weren't destitute. They had plenty. And all the way through the book of Amos, you'll see that they were um, very wealthy people. And I think that the reason I want to bring this out is because Amos is talking to a wealthy nation. I believe today America is a very wealthy nation. And I think we're, we, have it, we have all the, all the goods. We even have famous Amos cookies on Sunday morning for services. I mean, what, what better, more work do you ask for? Okay, maybe, maybe a little milk would be good or something to go with it. But anyway, all right, so I want you to open your Bibles. And if, if you like to write in, your, write in your Bibles, I want you to, I definitely want you to. If you don't like to write in your Bibles, I still want you to. And the reason is because when you turn and open your Bible to the book of Amos, I want you to, to know what's there. I want you to come back to it and say, here's this, here's that. That's why this is there. That's why that's there. All right? So, Amos chapter 1. When we start in Amos chapter 1, we find seven judgments. We find seven judgments and one big surprise. All right? So somewhere right at the beginning of chapter 1, write seven judgments. This goes from uh, verse, or chapter 1, verse 1, all the way down to, to chapter 2 and verse 16. You see in, right there in, in verse 1, we kind of... Uh, Glanced at it just a minute ago. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, uh, what he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake. This must have been an amazing earthquake. When Uzziah, the king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was the king of Israel. And he said, and this is, he starts going in. Okay, so here's judgment number one, uh, verse three. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even four, I will not turn back my wrath. Okay, there's judgment number one. Judgment number two, down in verse six. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Okay, verse, uh, verse nine is judgment number three. Are you writing one, two, three judgments? Okay, verse nine is judgment number three. For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Judgment number four is in verse 11. For three sins of Edom, 
even for four. I will not turn back my wrath. In Jewish times, in Jewish literature especially, the number seven was the perfect number. As Amos is going through these judgments, he's getting closer and closer and closer to Israel, to where he was. From Damascus, he goes to Gaza, from Gaza to, to Tyre, and from Tyre to Amnon. Uh, and, and then down in ver- uh, chapter 2, verse 1, judgment number 6. For three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And now we get the closest of all, and they think this is the last one because it's the number seven. And they know that if he's prophesying from God, more than likely, he's going to stop with number seven because seven is a perfect number. And every time I step, my page turns. See that? It's really neat. Keep trying to go back to Joel. So when we get to verse seven, he thinks they're done. Or the, the nation of Israel thinks he's done. And of course, they celebrate because look at who the judgment comes on. It comes on Judah, which is just to the south, which is actually a part of them or was a part of them not too long ago. And look at the judgment. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Okay, there's judgment number seven. Here's the big surprise. Dun, dun, dun. Amos continues with an eighth judgment. That's a big surprise. Right big surprise number eight. In verse six of chapter two. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. This is an insane chapter. Insane judgment. As you read through it, you can see signs of the wealth. Signs of uh, social injustice happening. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Signs of things taking place in this particular judgment that, that sound a lot like who we are here in America. So, there's the seven judgments and one big surprise. Next comes two sermons nobody wanted to hear. Nobody wanted to hear what, what Amos had to say in these two sermons. The two sermons go from uh, chapter 3, verse 1, through chapter 6 and verse 14. Sermon no- number 1 starts chapter 3, verse 1. Hear this word. The Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. Verse 2. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Yikes. He goes on to preach him a sermon all the way down through chapter 4. Chapter 5, beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, starts sermon number 2. A lament and call to repentance. Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, near to rise, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one will lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says. And he continues the sermon. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5. You hate the one who reproves in court. You despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many of your offenses and how great are your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes. You, you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, of the time, for the times are evil. 
Verse 14. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as, I, just as you say he is. The middle of, of Amos' second sermon. That second sermon goes all the way down to the end of chapter 6. Now, beginning of chapter 7. From chapter 7 and verse 1 through chapter 9 and verse 10. So I don't know if you're drawing arrows or making, this, making these marks or how you're, how you're doing it. But make marks in there so you know that it go, this, the, this next part goes from chapter 7 verse 1 all the way through chapter 9 and verse 10. We have five word pictures here. We have word pictures that nobody wanted to see. Starting in verse 1, we have a swarm of locusts. It says, check this out. Take a look at this. What do you see? He saw a swarm of locusts. Verse 2, the second word picture. Judgment by fire. Highlight, underline, circle. Judgment by fire was the second word picture. The third word picture, down in verse 7. He built a true, uh, built a true to plumb, uh, a plumb line in his hand. Amos held the plumb line in his hand, or God held the plumb line in his hand, and, and Amos looked at it and saw it. Word picture number three. Word picture number four comes in chapter eight and verse one. A basket of ripe fruit. Highlight, circle, underline. Basket of ripe fruit. That's that's word picture number four. Word picture number five is over in chapter 9 and verse 1. I saw the Lord standing by the altar. Where is he? Where's God? God came to church. God came to the synagogue. God, God came to the temple. What did you see, Amos? So I, we're standing here in church. What's happening? Strike the tops of the pillars and the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of the people. Those who are left, I will kill with the sword. No one will get away. No one will escape. Word pictures. Five word pictures that no one wanted to see chapter 9 all the way down to verse 10 um, is the last word picture and then the big surprise the big ending that no one saw coming chapter 9 verse 11 look what happens in that day I will restore David's fallen tent I will repair its broken places restore its ruins and build it as it used to be So that they may possess the remnant of Edom. The nations that bear my name declares the Lord. Who will do these things? Skip down verse 14. I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land. Never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them. Says the Lord your God. The ending no one expected. So there's the academic look. Right now, you have things in your in your scripture in the Bible in the book of Amos that you can refer back to and, and think about. Okay, here's here's the word pictures, here's the judgments, here's the two sermons. But we re- never really come to church just to get knowledge, just to get it all figured out. What's there? We don't really come here to to just hear God's word. We come here for far more than that. We come here to see what we can do to apply God's word. From the book of Amos, I pulled four lessons that we can take home with us. Israelites during Amos' time didn't understand it. They didn't get it. 
And I think there's times when we don't get it. I think there's times we don't understand it completely. God's thoughts, God's ideas, God's will for our lives. And so I think there's times when we come here to church. We, we study our Bibles to gain and learn understanding of what God wants in our lives. We don't always get it though. Verse uh, number one, the thing that, that we don't understand and the thing that Israelites definitely didn't understand is that my vertical is dependent on my horizontal. What do I mean by that? Well, my vertical, my vertical relationship, my relationship with God is based on my relationship with others. If my relationship with others is messed up, if my relationship with my kids is messed up, my relationship with God is not, is not in a good, in good place. If my relationship with my wife is not right, my relationship with God is not right. If my relationship with my coworkers, if my relationship with my employees, if my relationship with, with my boss is not right, my relationship with God cannot be right either. My vertical is based on my horizontal. If we're not getting along with people around us, we're not going to be able to get along with God. We find many places throughout Scripture, and obviously the opposite is, is true as well. If we don't have a good vertical, if we don't have God on our side, if, we don't have, uh, if we're not on God's side, oftentimes it's hard to deal with people. But, but the point here is, if we're out of whack on a horizontal level, it's going to be very difficult to have a conversation and have a good vertical relationship. The great commandment in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets, including Amos, are based on these two commandments. We read the story of the Good Samaritan. You're familiar with the story? If I'm not treating others right, if I'm not stopping to help the one that needs that help, it may be, it may be monetary, it may be, uh, it may be emotionally, it most likely will be spiritually. If I'm not stopping to help that person next to me make it to a good relationship with God, my relationship with God is getting messed up. If I'm not right with others, I can't be right with God. I understand there's circumstances that are difficult. We, some, of them, some of us talked about them this morning. We asked the question, well, was, have you ever had someone, have you ever run into someone that was really hard to get along with? I understand there are circumstances where there's people in our lives who we just can't seem to get along with. I want you to see this next passage. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. God gives us an answer to this situation. He says, if it is possible... <laughs> Obviously, we can use that as a copy. That guy's an idiot. I'm just, I'm out of here. It ain't possible. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There are many circumstances and many times where we have a hard time getting, getting to peace with some people. I understand that. But hear me on this. It should never be because I gave up early. It should never be that you gave up early. Stick with it. There's going to be people that are hard to deal with. But you, yourself, don't give up. You stay the course. Never make it be because you gave up. There was this guy who lived next door to us. We lived in Trailer Park, so, you know, the walls are like this thin. 
and um, and you're about this far away from the person next to you, you know, the next house over. And um, he, he was very difficult to get along with. Obviously, we were a very active family, constantly going here, going there, doing this, doing that. And at the same time, Denver Broncos had a, um, actually, he was one of the top five running backs of all time. His name was Sammy Winder. Do you remember his name? Do you remember that guy? He was a phenomenal running back. Uh, but anyway, so the guy next door, his name was Sammy. And so, of course, Greg came up with the term Sammy Winder. Because he was constantly whining about everything. He would come out and tell us to stop bouncing the basketball on the concrete because it was keeping him awake. He couldn't sleep or something. He would come busting out the back door. You know, all trailer houses have a back door, which is kind of bizarre to me, but they do. And it's in the person's yard next to him. So when you come out the back door, you're in the person's yard next to you. He would bust out that door. Our trampoline was right there outside of his steps. And he would yell at us for jumping on the trampoline because the springs were squeaking when we were jumping on the tramp. This Sammy Weiner was difficult to get along with. We took him cookies. We presented the gospel to him. We loved on him. We did everything we could think of to get this guy to, to relax and chill out. And he was just a very angry, bitter little man. And I don't, I, I don't know if everything... If, I mean, I, I don't even know what happened to the guy. I, don't, I know... I think he did. I think he hung himself at some point. But it wasn't because we were squeaking on the trampoline. Okay, good. That's, that's good. We weren't trying to cause trouble. We were actually trying. But there are those people that you're going to run into that are difficult to get along with. You're not going to be able to be friends with everyone, but don't let it be because you didn't try. Generally speaking, if I'm right with others, if I'm not right with others, I can't be right with God. My horizontal relationships are messed up. My vertical isn't going to be possible. First John chapter 4 and verse 19 it says, We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. If we don't love people we can't see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. My horizontal affects my vertical. Second thing. Amos tried to get the Israelites to understand social, social justice matters to God. There are so many things in this book that I see. And I, there's, there's several of these sins that Amos pulled out uh, that he was harassing the Israelites about. And God told Amos to harass the Israelites about that really sort of apply um, to us today. And I, I kind of listed them. I didn't put these in your notes so you can kind of try to... Uh, take some notes and, and keep up. Uh, one of the things I found in, in Amos 2, uh, 6 and 7, he, he talks about what I want to call predatory lending. If you have money, don't take advantage of others by loaning and earning a bunch of interest. It's just that whole loan shark idea. I think it happens a lot, and I think we need to be careful about it. Um, it was a sin that, that the Israelites had, and I, I've seen it today. Uh, we need to be careful about it. The next one is... Uh, I call it conspicuous consumption. I didn't coin the phrase. Um, Thor, Thor, Thorstein Veblen coined the term. He was an economist um, and a sociologist who lived from 1857 to 1929. Basically, this conspicuous consumption. Purchase of goods and services for the specific purpose of displaying one's wealth. Right? Or maybe just consumerism. Oh, we don't have a problem with that. 
<clears throat> yeah, we do. Veblen is best known for coining the term conspicuous consumption. In his book, The Theory of the Leary Class, or the Leisure Class, rather, he analyzed the social order and believed that people made purchases to signal their economic status and accomplishments to others. Veblen critiqued the consumption habits of the wealthy and questioned their values. He coined this term conspicuous consumption or conspicuous waste, striving to meet or exceed someone else's financial status. Amos chapter 4, look at it. Are you still open to Amos? Look at Amos chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to go brand some cows in a little while this afternoon. Going to go up and help Braden and Whitney. But look at these, look at these cows he talks about. Hear this word, you cows, you fat cows of Bashan. Depending on your translation, right? What's he talking about here? Is he actually talking about cows? Black Angus, red Angus? No, he's not. He's talking about, and as you read down, it was women he was talking about. It wasn't me, ladies. I'm not calling you fat cows. Amos said these women had the luxury and love to flaunt it. It's not that we can't have nice things. It's not that anybody can't have nice things. It's just, it's, it's overdoing it. It's conspicuous consumption. I think we need to be careful with this one. On both sides of the spectrum, we have a tendency to con- condemn those who have nice things. We have a tendency to, on the other side, justify our own materialism with, with comparing ourselves to others. They have extreme luxury, so my luxuries must be okay. Hmm. You be careful of it. Another sin that was mentioned there was worship rituals. There were worship rituals. They did things in their worship time that were, were fine, but they weren't focused on justice and righteousness. They were focused on themselves. They had all kinds of religion, but no real compassion for others. Amos 5, 23 and 24. There's a whole list of, of verses there um, that kind of talk about these different injustices that God saw and Amos pointed out. The next one there is dishonest business practices. Amos 8, 4 through 7. It says, listen to this. You who rob the poor and trample down the needy, you can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over so your religious festivals to end so you can get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. You mix the grain with the chaff swept off the floor. Then you enslave people, poor people, for the price of silver um, or a pair of sandals. Now the Lord has sworn north by his name, the pride of Israel. I will never forget the wicked things you have done. <clears throat> yeah, checks in the mail. Yes, yeah, sure it is. You mean you, you had a thought today about writing the check and sliding it in an envelope and putting it in the mail and sending it off. The check's in the mail. Mm-hmm. Unfair scales. Milking the time clock. Well, it's not quite time to check out yet. Not quite time to, uh, you know, clock out. I'm just going to kind of hang out here and dilly-dally until it's time. Milk in the clock. Amos says this is why God is judging you. The Israelites were being judged because they were ignoring social injustices. 
I think about this side, I mean, being this side of the presidential election, and I'm not going political here, I just want to make a point. I think back how much focus there was on, on sexual, in the sexual arena, marriage, abortion, homosexuality. I think about all of that, and I think it's odd because there are more than 300 verses in Scripture that talk about social injustice. But there's only a handful, maybe, maybe 20, I could count, but somewhere between 15 and 20 that talk about homosexuality. Why is it that politically they focus on all of those things rather than the real problems, rather than the real situations that are going on in America? And I think it goes even closer to home. I think there's a lot of churches that are preaching about and speaking about those, those sexual arena, stuff that has to do with that sexual arena, rather than the social, the 300 in the social arena and the social injustices. Israelites missed it, and I think we do as well. We don't focus on the poor. We don't focus on those being oppressed. We don't focus on the things that God thinks are important. Go back to the Old Testament days when there was a system, right? There was a system in place. In Leviticus 23, look at this one. Leviticus 23 and verse 22, it says, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of the field, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop, Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord, your God. What happened? They had a system. When, some, when a farmer went to harvest his field, they left a little bit around the edge for those who were poor to come along and pick up and to harvest. It wasn't a free handout. It wasn't food on the plate. It was a little bit left so that if they wanted to come and work for their food, they could get it. Deuteronomy 15 verse 11. There will always be some in the land who are poor. This is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 14. Never take advantage of poor destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. I really think a good deal of our country's problems are from these simple social injustices. Let me put it differently. Our nation... Our community, our church, suffers because of our lack of compassion for the poor. Let's get real. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being none, 10 being the most, where would you put yourself if you were to rate your level of compassion for the poor? Think about it. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being none, 10 being the most, where would you put yourself in your level of compassion for the poor? Now tell me, what does the day in the life of one who is a 10 on that scale, who has maxed out their compassion for the poor, what does the day in the life of a person with a 10 look like? Think about it. What do you think it looks like? What would that person do on a daily basis? What would that person do on a weekly basis? Now think about the other end of the spectrum. What does the day in the life of a person who has, who, who rates himself or is rated as a one, who has very little compassion for the poor, what does the day in the life of that person look like? Do you need to re-rate yourself? Are you a little more towards the one, or are you up there in the seven, eights, and nines? 
Where is your compassion for the poor? If you're anywhere close to the middle of the scale, we should expect to see you in this building each and every week finding a place to help the poor. Do you think any organizations would turn you down if you ask to volunteer some time or to make a monthly donation above and beyond your tithes and offerings to God? Do you think they would turn you away if you wanted to give them 20 bucks a week or, or 20 bucks a month or, or something out of our overflow? I don't think so. The answer is no. There are social injustices right here in our town. It's easy to find injustices. Horrible tragedies going around all over the world. But church, we have to see social injustice going on right here in our state, right here in our town, right here in our community. And we have to start answering that call. I know this is not just to get you to go sign up on the angel house, and, but, it, but it goes right along with it, doesn't it? It's exactly this. These people are trying to get out of their problem. They're trying to step up out of their situation. All it takes is one night or one evening to go and spend some time with them and love on them and encourage them and tell them, like Don said, hey, you know what? I, I'm just like you. It's, I'm just one one little section away from one, one little paycheck away, one little hiccup away from being in your spot. I want to encourage you. We moved into this building because it was a place to serve. Where are you serving? Where is your compassion for the poor? What have you done this week to alleviate the social injustices of our day? Amos pounded on them. The Israelites, they were fat cows of, 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 of bashing. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip here. He might be, but I'm not. Don't get angry with me. This is just scripture. Look at Proverbs 14.31. Those who oppress the poor insult their maker. But helping the poor honors God, honors him. Proverbs 21, 13, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their time of need. Proverbs 29, 7, the godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. Proverbs 31, 9, yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. 1 John 3, and verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Church, we need to get real about compassion for the injustices right here, right now. You want to know where you can serve, where you can volunteer? Come talk to me after services. We can find a place to take your compassion from whatever it is, from wherever you are, to wherever you want to be. Take that passion from a one, two, or three, maybe it's a seven or eight, to a ten. Let's get real about compassion. Let's get real about the social injustices that are right here around us. My horizontal is affected. My vertical is affected by my horizontal. And social injustice matter to God. What else is applicable here? Number three, we are blessed to be a blessing. Truth to share. If you are rich 
and have plenty. Don't feel guilty about it. Enjoy what God has blessed you with. There's nothing wrong with having uh, nice things. You know, I think in the Christian community, there's a whole lot of money police out there. They're watching where you live, the size of the house, what kind of cars you drive, where you shop, where you buy your clothes, what, what, what brand names you're buying. The Christian money police are watching and they're judging, right? Don't feel guilty. Enjoy what God is blessed with. But understand this. God has blessed you with wealth so that you can share it with others. Have fun sharing it because that's where the real joy is. Let me sort of describe how this goes. You know, if you have, if you have, if, if you have a little more than, than me, one or two steps above what I have, uh, you're my goal, right? I want to get to where you are. If you've got a little bit nicer house, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger place, a little bit bigger something or other, that, that's, you know, the one step above. That's where I want to go. If you have lots more than me, to the point that I could never imagine having what you have, like just way out there extravagant, you know what? You're a pig. You should, you should share with the poor and you should give everything, all those nice cars, all those nice houses, you should give them to missions and, and do something nice with those things. Isn't that right? Am I the only one that feels that way at times? It's one or the other, isn't it? I, I think it is. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 says, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, your families, your father's family, and go to the land where I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. What was Abraham's commission? What was his job? He's taking, he's taking what God blessed him with, and he was passing it on to the generation after generation after generation. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who what? Richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do, good, to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those all in need. Always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. You know something? A hearse is never followed by a U-Haul. They don't have trailer hitches on the back of hearses. Because you know what? You're not taking anything with you. God gives us stuff here so we can enjoy it and so that we can pass it on. We can give it to others. Have you ever given your kids something and they flaunt it and they brag about it? Like, ha, ah, look what I got. Ah, I got something to mention to you. Breaks your heart, right? Maybe it's just my kid that does that. I don't want them to be entitled. I want them to think highly of themselves because of their, what they have. But on the other hand, it also breaks my heart when I, I give them something nice and they immediately go and share it with somebody else, right? Have you ever done that? And your kid's just like that, that really kind-hearted self and they, and they just go and try to give it to somebody right after you just spent all your hard-earned money on something really nice for them and they just go give it to their friends? Maybe I'm just not spiritual enough. I have this feeling that it's like, man, ouch. I worked hard to provide that. I, want you to, I don't want you to just give it away. So where's the balance? How do we cope? How do we cope in our own lives with the situation? Let me give you two. 
practical disciplines. Two simple disciplines that I've put in place in my life. Based on God's words, but I want you to understand that these are my thoughts. And if, if you don't take on to these things, I'm not going to be... Obviously, it's, it's not a heaven or hell issue. Number one, I make it a habit to give God off the top, not from my leftovers. I give God off the top because I've, I've discovered that the more I get, the more I need to give. If I don't give off the top, if I don't give off the top first, it won't be there at the end. I invest in the eternal things first and then worry about the earthly. If you want to keep that balance, if you want to know where that balance is, always give God off the top. Always make that that tithe check, that number one check on, on the budget. It'll keep you balanced. It won't leave you trying to give out of the leftovers. And number two, the discipline I've put in my life that, that helps me stay balanced. I put it this way. If it's too valuable to share, it's too valuable to own. If it's too valuable to share, it's too valuable to own. If I own it, I'll share it. If it's mine, I'll share it with you. Yes, even the Corvette. I'll share it with you. Come take it. Anytime. If it's too valuable to share, it's too valuable to own. Yes, there's going to be some stewardship instruction when I hand you the keys to the Corvette. But that's only because if you mess it up, then I can't share with the next person. If it's too valuable to share, it's too valuable to own. Have you become, have you become an entertainer with what God has given you? Or, have you be, or are you simply hospitable with what God has given you? Right? You can have one of those houses that are, that are so fancy and so in place that if a kid comes in your house, you're going to be, oh, don't break that. Oh, oh, don't break that. Hold on a second. If it's too valuable to own, if it's too valuable to share, it's too valuable to own. We don't want to own something that's too, that's too valuable. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide, the increase your, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who, who need them, they will thank God. We are blessed to bless others. And last but not least, God will mess up your present to guarantee your future. God's going to mess up your, fu- your present. He's going to mess up today to make sure that your future is in line. Quote me on this. He's a trustworthy interference. He's a trustworthy interference. It's okay to let God interfere with your life because he's trustworthy. God loves you too much to let you destroy yourselves. So he interferes. Like a good parent. There are cruddy parents out there, I understand that, who don't really love their kids and will let them get away with anything or just discipline them to get revenge for whatever embarrassment that the parent just had to endure. But a good parent makes bad behavior uncomfortable enough so that the child won't do it again. The purpose for the pain, right, parents? 
There's a purpose for this pain. It's to remind you that that's not a, 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 an okay behavior. Dad says, I'm going to make your life so miserable for choosing the wrong path that in the future you will choose the right one. Mom says, don't touch that hot burner. And she slaps your hand to help you remember to not touch that hot burner. Our Father in Heaven's the same way. He loves us too much to allow ourselves to destroy ourselves. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 through 13, we're going to end with this. The Lord disciplines the one He loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as, as his children. For what child is not disciplined by their father? And if you are not disciplined and, and, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we, have all human, we all have human fathers who disciplined us and, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father? of our spirits and live. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. So that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. God, may you take the things we have heard today and use them to change our minds and ultimately our actions. God, change us. Make us so uncomfortable that we choose a different path. One that puts you in the center of our lives. I want to have, a, have good horizontal relationships so that my vertical relationship with you is not interrupted. Make me more aware of the injustices around me. Help me care enough to get involved. Change me by helping me realize your blessings are for blessing others. And allow my presence, allow today to be a mess so that my future can be rock solid in an eternity with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving Amos these words to a rich and prosperous nation of Israel. God, they were so, they were so embedded in all that they had and all that they were and all the, the religious ways, but God, they were so messed up in the heart. God, help us change the way we view these things so that we're not that same way. So that you don't bring judgment on us for eternity. God, mess up our, our days so that we can be more like you. That we can have our, our lives, our hope, our strength in you. God, we thank you for the message of Amos. We pray that it will change us and make us the people that you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's do something a little different with this too. It's just a weird Let's sing this as a prayer. My life needs to be in your Mom, pick me up.